Welcome, folks, to a brand new episode of Smoke em If You Got Em, the most interactive podcast in all of music history, and you know this to be the truth. Now, the premise of the show is very simple, easy for me to say. We're going to pick a record. We're going to listen to that record. Before we get through these sides, we're going to roll one and we're going to smoke one, and that's per side, all right? So that's it. No ifs, ands, or buts, no week outs. This is what we're doing, okay? It's Sunday, and you owe it to yourself and to us on this second season of the world's most interactive podcast. Now, for today's record of choice, I pass the microphone over to the Oracle of Oxford County, Mr. Jeremiah Charlton. Ladies and gentlemen, today we'll be listening to Henry Cow and their album Unrest, a great rock and opposition, may, may arguably my favorite band. Rag with myself. I don't know. Like I, I haven't listened to them in a while, so it's wonderful. It's a great, it's a great band. It's a great record, and uh, we we firmly believe over here in the uh, the RIO moment, uh, and and it's just it, this of all the records that we've been talking about. This is a polarizing record, and th- th- this is the band that created RIO. So right, right. So uh, what's the year for the album? Nineteen seventy four. It's their second album. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite album by them because I like all of their albums. It's very high up there, though. And this one, and this one has uh, some personal changes, so it's a bit different. But anyway, let's let's get into the record, and we'll come back and talk about it. Yes, sir. So, uh, folks, you know the rules: smoke them if you got them. Do it. Uh-oh. And we're back. A. A. We're listening to Henry Cow over in this bitch. This is a hell of an album. So, uh, I'm not even ashamed to say this, folks. When I listened to this this morning, uh, I was just sort of on my couch. It was beautiful, nice, sunny. Listening to the first side of this, and it literally brought me to tears twice. Oh, wonderful. Yep. Little, when uh, little, when uh, did that happen? Uh, it probably happened like... In uh, half asleep, half awake, and then Oof. again in ru- happened again in ruins. Half half and asleep I, got me heavily. It's just like for me, they they. Uh, it's not necessarily even the music is so quote quote like beautiful like you think of it, right? It's just yeah. to me, it was like oh my god, like this is such perfect art to me, you know, an artistic statement. Yeah, it's a full artistic statement. It's completely driven by by the uh, by the creativity and the and the and the dream of these. I mean, for me, when I hear this, I just hear a bunch of people that were dreaming about making this album, and they went ahead and made it. Now, you know, as far as the record goes, the recording of it is very much of the times uh, high fidelity recording. Everything has a place in the mix. Nothing is stepping over each other, and. This is hard for music that's so uh, technically uh, demanding, right? Because there's many music passages happening at, at all times, and we're not talking about standard tuning here. A lot of different time signatures. Yeah. One, one, one guy will be playing. Uh, it's interesting, you know who does this now? Is Tigran Hamyasin. Oh, nice. He'll, he'll, the same, he'll take like a, a certain amount of beats. And uh, like they'll, they'll divide it up like three, three, four, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then maybe somebody else will do like a pair, just five and five. 
Now, now we're we're talking we're talking that. about time signatures, and for the people that don't understand uh, that sort of world, uh, it's kind of the equivalent of uh, pegging a round hole. You know, it's uh, you got to fit one thing inside of another that usually wouldn't, but because you have that knowledge, you make it fit. Yeah, it, it, it it's it's really it comes down to math, man. How many ways can you divide this number up, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Do you want to give some context about this? Because this band is so big for the rock and opposition movement, and and all the players go on to do great things in their in their careers. But but this band in particular, you know, can you give us some some context on here? Well, this this band, you got Fred Frith on guitar, yeah. uh, who's just extraordinary because he can he can really play. A, a, what's it's funny is when a lot of people consider. A, diverse guitar players in let's say like a studio musician setting yeah um they would never even like think of like someone being able to play like fred frith it's definitely you know? not the person that you think i think about how many top guitar lists I've, I've read in my life and that name has never come up in any commercial guitar list oh, well that's that's that that's a shame there you go you know it's a shame but but he he's um Meaning he, I mean, he can read music. He can play any music, con- conventional. Yeah. Um, but he can play very avant-garde in terms of like, there's not many guys that can really play guitar uh, technically well that also like play like the found guitar. You know, like just putting on a, putting it on the on the table and hitting it with sticks and yeah. You know, like most guys that can really play, they 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 think that's like sort of beneath them, right? So yeah. Not Fred Frith. He he knows everything. He's playing guitar and piano, violin, xylophone. Again, we have a, a band that play people play different things, right? Tim Hodgkinson, organ, piano, alto, saxophone, clarinet, Cooper, bassoon, oboe, recorder, vocals, John Greaves, bass, piano, vocals, and Chris Cutler, drums. Yeah. So again, we have these bands where a lot of people can play different instruments, which makes it just a very a sonic assault, right? We love it. Yeah, it's such a it's such a great uh, it's such a great composition of uh, of people. The the bassoon here, Lauren, uh, I love Lindsay. the sound of Lindsay. Lindsay sorry, Lindsay. The, the sound the sound of the bassoon, I, I love it. The way that they put it in this album, and in the passage that it takes, uh, man, it really opens it up because again, it's what you're saying prior. You know, you get these these players that are trained in classical sense but are not afraid of going out of the box and experimenting in any way possible to, to create a new sound out of the, out of the instrument that they know so well back and forth. Right. Oh yeah. Well, she was a great classical player, right? So she could read, read anything. And so the, the band was great because it was like half composed, half improvised. Right. Right. And they were one of the first bands that like would put that stuff on top of each other. They'd have a thoroughly composed piece and inside it, like have someone, just go out you know and or have sections where they go out and and it's just incredible like and think about this one we talked about that a lot in first season one season two here man we had lard free and then yeah. now this and it's yeah. like uh the level of musicianship on these first two albums yeah we we've just we built a hell of a foundation and now we're putting on this floor is just big time like there's no other way of saying it but big time and no weaknesses in the first uh, side, correct? Absolutely not a single piece of weakness. I think emotionally, one of the greatest things about this band with the uh, composed parts uh, being kind of dressed up with all these improv-, improv parts is that at least my sonic brain is busy 
kind of turning everything apart, right? You're tearing right. the composed part, you're tearing the improv part apart. And then you have your own visions of what's happening in there because this music is very cerebral. This music is very emotional. And this music is uh, intended for you to express yourself in a almost animalistic way. You know, there's a primal thing to 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 what happens when you improvise over highly composed pieces. And, and this band, from the first hit, this band has that all over. So uh, I think it's time, folks, to... Uh... Really, but but what's grab your button? What's well, what's the term I'm looking for? The the bootstraps. Grab yourself yeah. by the bootstraps. That's there what I'm go. trying to say. There you, go. you did it. You did it though. All right, grab your bootstraps here, please. Yeah. Get another one. Pull them up. It, and and let's go for side two. Okay, smoke them if you got them. <laughs> We're back, man. Henry Cow. For the folks that are just joining us, you, you're listening to uh, Henry Cow, 1976, Unrest. Unrest. Man, um, by far the most challenging section, uh, the B side to me, uh, has been oh, yeah. more challenging than, than the first side, but is it ever full of just gold? Yeah, this side's much more uh, improvisational than the first, you know? Yeah. And this is sort of like what they were like live. This is more of a representation of them. It very live. much sounds like a live album. And it's great. I love it. I love it. Um, I forgot to mention, uh, you said about the recording quality. Guess who engineered this album? Mike Oldfield. Oh, of, 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 of the tubular bells, yo. Of the Correct. tubular bells. Mike Oldfield is a hell of a studio head that just sits and thinks about sound all day long, very much like Klaus Schultz, which we've covered in season one of the of the podcast. Mike Oldfield's a serious player. Record at Virgin Records Manor Studios. See, we haven't even talked about the fact that bands like Henry Cow and Lart Free that are in the archive, if you haven't heard it, uh, bands like this had major support. Huge studios would put their money down because there was a time where, gasp, you were supposed to be making music that was interesting and different and new. You weren't supposed to make just pop hits and I want to hold your hand for the 45th fucking time. <laughs> so, so Virgin steps up uh, very much like he did for a long time. Um, Richard, uh, Richard put a lot of money into bands that you would go, what? See, this B-side almost has to me these noise parts, you know? There's the no-wave sound in New York, the, the intensity of a Merce bow, uh, you know, white noise attack. All that shit is in there, and it's challenging. It's not easy, folks. Um, what do you think about the drummer for Henry Cow? I love, I love because the attack is not that of a regular drummer. No. Um... It it uh, it reminded me a lot of Maureen Tucker from the Velvet Underground, but live, where the approach was, I'm gonna make the same amount of of sound as you guys, and hopefully it turns out in the end. But but that's not to discredit them as a percussion man. Like this is a motherfucker of an album to come up with these parts. Yeah, he uh, had a really hard job. <laughs> <laughs> He had well, a hard he's, job, he's the man. only one. He's the only one that that's his full time gig. Everybody's switching over, grabbing clarinets and violins, and he's like, "Nah, I'm back here just like 
flipping over pancakes, man. That's what I'm doing. Well, it's never in 4-4, right? Like... <laughs> Just four four with a band like Henry Cow is hilarious it's, it's to be the same. Never four four, right? So that ain't happening. You ain't tapping your foot to this one. And it's like, again, they're one of the few bands that, well, especially back then, that would have multiple time changes going on, right? Yeah. At the same time, folks. Not that we're all switching over. No, no, no. You stay here. I'm gonna turn right. You're gonna turn left. But we'll stay going right. to the same place. Correct. And so then that makes you as the drummer. How, like now, most people like would say, "Well, who am I going to play with? I'm gonna have to follow one of the others, right?" Right. And he made it basically work like to sort of play in between both of them. Yeah. Oh, and this is crazy about Chris Cutler. I just found this out today. Chris Cutler did not read music. Now, all most of these guys, uh, I shouldn't say that. I'm gonna take that back. Half this band was was from like Cambridge, right? So like the highest level of intelligentsia. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 and 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 in England, right? So these are the, some of the smartest people going. But Chris Cutler was the only one that did not read music, mm. the drummer. And so when they would practice these things, like especially with something like that, they couldn't say, uh, "Hey, let's go to like bar fifty-eight, right?" Because he had just no idea, right? He, so he's got would, he's got they, no paper, no paper clue. It's got to be all in his no. head and by feel. So what they would do is they would play, they all lived in the same house, and they would play it over and over again, right? So they, they said they practiced average eight to nine hours a day in this house. Wow. That's like the Captain Beefheart diet. It's the, only other, it's the only thing I've ever heard that before. Yeah. And it makes sense because this is – now, obviously, Beefheart's vocals are so abrasive and huge and challenging. Over the top. But this is another very uh, a band like that with Beefheart where there, there's multiple – all we just talked about multiple time changers, crazy parts. Yeah. 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 I did. And, and, and Chris it, Cutler is, is similar actually. Now I think about it to Drumbo, you know, as a drummer. Very much so. And I think it's because uh, Cutler is bringing, Cutler is bringing um, the pop sensibility. And I say pop that meaning, you know, he could play soul music if he wanted to on the weekends and come back and do this. But when you got people that are trained classically, they can read very, very complex pieces of music, and they also write very complex pieces of music. Having a dude that just knows the tunes that are playing out there and like he could play anything is important to have without having that that uh, studious end to them, you know, because it could be it could be more aggressive, it could be more open, and it doesn't have to be as restricted or as tied down to the grid. Nice. I uh, have good news for you too. Go ahead. Because this is recorded on Virgin, right? A major label. You can get an original copy of this for basically $50. That's tremendous. Right? So, come on. Like, That's folks, an incredible this is price. This did, is you have, um, did you have any standout moments on this B-side? For me, for me, it just turned into a river of sound from top to bottom. Uh, I like the endings, like Deluge. Yeah, Deluge is beautiful. Right? I like that one a lot. Um, that stood out for me for sure. But to me, like the first side is like maybe the best side of music I've heard in a while. You know, it was just so strong. It's yeah. It, there's absolutely no no holes you can poke on the first side of this uh, of this record, and uh, it's so original too. Yeah, I, I think um, it's interesting because that first side's got what three tracks in all in all. Yes. Yeah. So we're talking that that third track is how long? Uh twelve minutes. So ruins. So even if you don't, even if you don't know what this band is, you picked it up at the record store because the artwork is so um, 
Oh, so cool, huh? The artwork is so cool. How how would you give the folks some? What just well, how would you describe this artwork? Because it's so unique. So, there's the, the uh, you'll love this. The first album. This is this is album two, right? The first album also had a sock yeah. on the cover, right? Like a wool sock. Wool sock, right? Steel wool sock, and 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 then it looked like steel wool actually. But then yeah. what's so funny is uh, the le- the the name of the album is called Legend, right? Legend, mm-hmm. but if you break it up, it's leg end. Leg end. For, but, is, and by the way, I thought for a long time the name of the album was leg end. And which is it? Which is you know, leg end is where your sock is, right? So, Correct. and then they went with a sock thing. So there's different colors. Uh, the only album that's not that is like the Western Civilization cover. That's the only one that stands out from the pack. Yeah, they're all they're all other uh, sock, you know, different different colors with different like the red one and, and praise yeah. of learning, et cetera, et cetera. It's great. Yeah, the, these cool. ba- these bands in RIO, they're so clever and there's so much uh, humor and there's so much uh, snootiness, but in, but in, but in a comical way, right? Like uh, like matching mole. We sort of making fun of themselves. Completely right? making fun of themselves. You know, Robert Wyatt calling his band matching mole because of what we learned on season one. Go back to the archives and check it out. It's it's the same idea as leg end legend, same steel wool sock. We'll just change the color, and if you get it, you get it. If you don't, it's cool. Uh, I'll I'll leave the folks the a fun little uh, thing I heard about today. Uh, Fred for telling a story about going to London for the first time, moving to London, and uh, he met a guy. He said, "Oh man, you, you sound like this guy Derek Bailey who plays guitar." Ooh, and uh, Fred Frith. So he said, I wasn't even trying to be cocky. He said, but I just, I wasn't aware of anybody that sounded like me. Right. Or that, and right. that somebody else was playing some similar type of guitar was like awesome. Like, and maybe he was doing it before me. He had no idea. Right. So he goes to a Derek Bailey concert. He sees, sees it, whatever advertised in the paper. He goes, he is the only person in the entire uh, place. <laughs> so Derek Bailey invites him on stage and he just plays to him like instead of like on the crowd just plays to him right yeah and, like, just talks, hanging out just talks to him and then like after the show they had they went out for tea because they're British I just thought that would have imagine that's... if you're the, imagine if, imagine if you're the third person there like that that's such a oh, guitar man. yeah it's such a dream uh, come true because yeah the internet's not there just hearing somebody tell you, yo, there's somebody that sounds just like you doing it over here. You're like, what are you talking about? I thought <laughs> yeah. I was the, I thought I was the only motherfucker hitting this with like a brass string. You That's know? right. But, but, but you weren't. Derek Bailey's another titan of industry that we'll cover at some point. Man, I, I love this album. I love this album. Yeah. Folks, I hope you enjoyed it too. And uh, tomorrow we're going to Japan. Oh, yes. Yes, we are. For, for a very different type of band that we have not even come close to on season one or season two. At all. Again, we're just, we're just giving you what you need to know in order to hip up your life and get that vinyl collection up in the Hall of Fame level. Okay? That's what's happening here on Smoke em. If you got him, we're hitting this season two one. hard. This is a great one, man. This is a great one. So I'm looking forward to it. And uh, folks, thank you for listening. Subscribe, share it around. You know what the drill is with all of these things. And, uh, you know, if you have any questions, suggestions, send them over to our Facebook, smoke them if you got them, Noise on Port with G Alamo. You'll see it everywhere, everywhere. Uh, And, uh, you know, we'll think about it and uh, we'll get back to you. That's how we do it.
So, folks, till next time, smoke them if you got them. <laughs>